Welcome to the sanctuary. You're listening to DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and dcradio.gov, where we inspire, educate, and empower women of color to unapologetically transform into their most authentic and healthy selves by tapping into the goddess within. Welcome to The Sanctuary. You're listening to DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and dcradio.gov. I'm Wendy Cherry, and I'm so honored to share information about today's topic today. We're going to be talking about altars. Um, I have in the studio with me Barrett Holmes Pittner, who is a writer, filmmaker, and he focuses on race, culture, and politics. Now, he's currently working on his first documentary film titled Altars, a cross-cultural day of the dead. And this is intended to provide a cultural safe space for African Americans and Latinos to cope with the trauma of loss, celebrate our cultures, and strengthen our communities. And it's also to build a bridge between the communities. And on this time, it's a little different. I have another guest with me here today. Miss Eureka Huggins Axum, and she is the co-founder of the co-founder and director of international affairs for Adasi. And Adasi is a 26-year-old nonprofit educational, cultural, and spiritual organization, which is based right here in Washington, D.C., that was founded to institutionalize the remembrance of our African ancestors who perished in the Middle Passage, as well as those who survived. And currently, she's serving as a senior assistant director for the U.S. Department of State Professional Exchange Program for the Institute of International Education. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for so having me. Yeah, thanks Thank for you having for me. accepting my invitation to come. Yeah. Thank you for inviting so, <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So this is a super important topic, um, and it's very near and dear to my heart. And we're talking about altars and talking about ancestors. And October just so happens to be what they say, one of the most spiritual times of the year. It's... Um, when the veil between the spirit world and the physical world is very, very thin. And so that's why we have come to know it as like Halloween. And there's other lots of other traditions that happen um, around this time. But this is a great time to connect. So um, our guest here, Barrett, is working on an altar uh, on a documentary um, about altars. So like I said, it's a cross-cultural day of the dead. And so I kind of want to get your take on why you thought a film like this is important at this time and kind of how you got to the point of thinking it's important to create it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. It's, it's a big question. Uh, so there's many reasons why I think this film is really important now. Uh, and to answer that, I'll kind of give some background as how I came up with the idea. So, uh, like, I've lived in D.C. for a series of years, and my, my girlfriend is Mexican-American, and I have a lot of Latino friends. And we had one year, they, they you know, she and they dragged me to a Day of the Dead celebration. I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't 
particularly excited mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's just these are my friends I'm gonna go to the party that they've invited me to that's that's just the thing that makes sense to do and uh, at first it was weird I just didn't get it uh, people had face paint I'm not like a big fan of like painting my face that's not a even as a kid I didn't really enjoy that okay but um but then once you sit back and you, you're humble and you observe and like learn from what people are doing, you see that the celebration isn't about you know necessarily the pageantry or the face painting. It's about people inviting their friends into their home to talk about their ancestors and their community. And this is like a, th- a three-day celebration and, and you know based on when people ha- invite people into their home. It can be, you know, a celebration that lasts for a couple of weeks, just depending on, you know, the various parties you go to. Okay. Um, and at each time they invite people into their homes to talk about their ancestors. And this fosters community. Mm-hmm. And you can see when people are talking about a loved one that passed away, you know, this year or last year, that it was quite therapeutic for them to have mm-hmm. this type of conversation. And after participating in Day of the Dead for a couple of years, you know, a light bulb went off where it's like, this is something that at scale, that across the US, I don't think we have anything like it that's mainstream. And I can definitely see how the African-American community would need this because mm-hmm. it's, you know, like for example, like I, as a writer that covers Black Lives Matter and all sorts of like racial issues in the U.S., I could see how, in response to a tragedy, there would be a natural desire within the African American community to make an altar. We right. would make an altar for Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Garner. That's a natural thing, but right. the, those altars are quite reactive. Right. So the we needed to have a, an opportunity to remember people and celebrate people that wasn't in response to something tragic happening. And I saw Day of the Dead as opening this opportunity where it's proactive. You get to talk about people and your culture and bring people together and form community every single year for three, you know, minimum of three days. Mm-hmm. And and by and so that was the the original like idea that came into my head from this. It seemed a a natural combination of what was happening across the country in a political sense with Black Lives Matter and and black empowerment, Mm -hmm. while also this uh, rise of influence and growth of the Latino community, which in many places in the U.S., like African-Americans and Latinos live right next to each other. We're neighbors, and here's a tradition that they have that is Mm -hmm. quite similar to how we're responding to tragedy. So Mm -hmm. if we found a way to bridge that gap, we could use this tradition to advance and embrace and celebrate our own culture. And uh, the thing that really, I think, put it over the top, and I think conceptually, so there's two, like the last conceptual thing that put it over the top um, is that you make is that you make an altar in your own home. And right. so each person's altar is going to be unique. And so that allowed for African-Americans to bring in African altars. Like your altar doesn't need to look like your Mexican neighbor's altar because right. you're not Mexican. And there's plenty of altars that uh, and traditions that are in Africa that we can bring in. And like Day of the Dead can be a, a gateway, a pathway for that. Um, and so that was the like the the conceptual idea. The tipping point that really made me want to go forward with the project is last year my cousin passed away and I could see how my family struggled with 
how to like keep his memory alive and just how to deal with just like the natural things that happen after death. Like mm-hmm. I think the thing that really got me was my uncle, uh, my cousin's dad, he didn't know where to put my cousin's stuff after he passed away. Like right. they lived in the same town, so he still had his bedroom from high school and all that kind of stuff, and he had the task of going through my cousin's stuff and determining what to keep and what to throw away. But if you don't have um, uh, a known purpose for what you're gonna do with the stuff that you keep, right. it makes it really hard to argue why you should keep anything or why you should throw anything away. Right. And I was like, well, if he had an altar that he was gonna make once a year, he could get my cousin's stuff, go through it, put the stuff that means the most in a box, open up that box, create that altar, and then have you know a time every year where he gets to talk about his son. Right. And this is just a structure that he needed, and without that structure, I could see that he struggled quite a bit with right. it. And so that you know hit it on like a on a personal level where i could see how this really quickly could benefit my family uh while also having the potential to benefit a lot of other african americans that you know i i may never ever meet right i love that that sounds cool yeah so i think that um a few different things so the altars what i was what i consider like a street altar i think that we don't connect the dots between an altar a traditional maybe Christian altar. I'm not sure if other spiritual systems have altars that you would call them specifically, but I think that that's just how we um, remember and kind of um, celebrate the person who is gone with uh, here in Washington, D.C. There's a tradition of putting teddy bears out and putting um, everybody gets a T-shirt and you put stuff out on the ground by a pole or by a tree and then so this morning driving into the studio I saw like 37 bottles lined up and then I saw the teddy bear and so I knew that it was new because I ride past here all the time something somebody just passed and so this was the community's way of honoring them and that is an altar um for me I have an altar in my home and um I've had it for maybe two or three years in different um in different ways but the way that I have it now it's just prominent in my home and it has on my maternal side my mom's mm-hmm. side it has her people because those who, who took care of me you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying so I feel more connected to the people who took care of me and who took care of her because some of them have passed and so um well, some of them passed before I was born is what I'm saying. And so, you know, I I go and talk to it, to the people there. And it took a while to get used to the idea of doing that. Um, and it was in some ways it's a little painful because some of the deaths happened prematurely and there was a lot of pain around it and nobody talked about it so specifically my mom's mom died when she was 18 months old she died at like 21 or 22 years old um, in childbirth or a little bit after childbirth so I can imagine the pain and the trauma of a family Mm -hmm. who lost a vibrant 20 something year old woman who already had a husband and two kids so her husband is in trauma then her children are in trauma because they're like who's going to take care of these babies and so she pretty much we didn't really know what she looked like and we didn't know anything about her personality we didn't know anything about her at all until probably if she died when my mom was 18 months 
we probably only knew and my mom was born in the 40s um, she probably only got her first picture that I asked the elders for because I knew that my mom was suffering so much from not having have had her mother her her biological mother she was taken care of by other people but her biological mom she didn't have and so I found a picture and it was the first time we'd seen her face mm-hmm. so we put it on the altar mm-hmm. and she looks just like her and it was like the first connection that we had to this face that we've heard a little teeny bit of a story but nobody else really talks about it so that's kind of um what we ha- i have on my altar and then i also my the, my mom's mom who died her brother and his wife took care of my mom and so when they passed away, I was given my grandmother's wedding ring. So I have the wedding ring on the altar. So you're talking about where to put stuff, yep. right? Like where do you put their things? I'm not wearing that ring because I've lost it once and then I found <laughs> it and I'm like, okay, we have to put it in a place of honor. And then my other aunt, she died in my arms. Unexpectedly, we on the way to Walmart. And we put her in the car and all of a sudden she starts screaming and then she dies in my arms. So there was a lot of pain and a lot of questions and a lot of anger and a lot of <coughs> sadness around that. Um, but now I can celebrate that. So and she had the best personality. I knew her the longest. I knew her into my 30s. So and she knew my daughter. My daughter was only two. So now I can go to her with like the funny stuff because I still remember her very well and how she moved and what her thought processes were. So I go to her and just kind of laugh with her. So it's important. And I think that people don't make the connection and they don't know how beautiful it can be. And I kind of feel like we've been brainwashed to think it's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, it's, um, it's, so this is going to seem like a weird example, but like when you have friends and they're alive, you don't see them every day, right? but you still have ideas and stuff in your mind that keep them alive. Like if you have a friend and you live in DC and they live in California, you might not go, you might go five, six years without seeing them, but they, they're alive because you, you might have, you have an, an idea of who they are in your head. Like this is just a natural thing that we mm-hmm. do to all the people we know when they're alive. Mm-hmm. And when they're gone, it makes sense to find a way to continue having these ideas of these people right. in your head. And if you won't see them again, you need to have something. Like, you know, if you couldn't remember that you had a friend and you felt that you were all alone in the world while you were alive, that'd be quite traumatic. And mm-hmm. so that tra- that trauma is a thing that still exists. The, the, the potential for that traumatic feeling, that's something that still exists even when someone departs the earth. And right. so we need to have structures. You know, it strengthens you as a person throughout your daily life to be able to remember and think about the people and the things that have helped make you who you are and shape you. And, you know, that's that's essential. We need that, you know, all the time. Right. So now, Adasi, I have gone to many uh, programs here in Washington, D.C., and you all have the most beautiful altars you create the most beautiful altars can you take us all the way back mm-hmm. and in your experience and your education of what they're for from people from the diaspora perspective um just kind of like break it down for the listeners who may not have a clue on what it really is <laughs> okay um so um 
in, in African tradition, the altar is really a physical area where we venerate or we commemorate or pay homage to the ancestors. Um, it brings a focal point for us, uh, a way to feel and express who we are. Now, specifically in Adasi, um, we are dedicated to commemorating those who perish in the Middle Passage. There okay. are millions of men, women, children, and babies who perish in the Middle Passage. Right. And when you mentioned something about your, uh, your auntie, that you didn't know her, right. but you had that connection. Mm-hmm. And so for us in Adasi, these millions of people who perish we're still connected to them because right. while the grand the, the, the great auntie may have perished in the middle passage with a baby right. the, the great uncle survived right. and so by remembering the, in the commemorations that we do by remembering we begin to break that collective amnesia that we have the, from the pain and the shame and the fear and the guilt that we still carry in our DNA mm-hmm. that's passed on from generation to generation Right. and so you know that whole aspect of slavery and those who are in the middle passage and we just we don't know who they are and that's 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 something negative that we don't identify with that so the commemoration is really our memorial to those who perish in the middle passage and so a focal point for Adasi over the years has been these altars that we create, which are really our memorials to mm-hmm. them. When you said that you passed by this the, 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 this morning and you saw mm-hmm. the the, um, the teddy bear and the bottles, mm-hmm. um, that's their memorial to that person who perished. Right. And so... Um, the memorial, the Adasi altars, and every single one of our altars are different. We have different. They are they are artistically created sacred spaces. Yeah. And so every item on that altar has a symbol, like you said, your grandmother's ring, mm-hmm. um, you, the clothing of your cousin. What would you do with that? These are specific symbols that you would put. So on the Adasi altars, we have symbols that allows us to connect with our ancestors with our African tradition, our culture. Okay. We have a Sankofa bird, we have the Ankh, we have many other aspects. The colors are very different. And so we've created hundreds of altars, mm-hmm. um, not just here in D.C., but other parts of the country. And so, it again, it allows us to commemorate those who perished in the Ma'afa, in the Middle Passage. And then we also commemorate those who survived mm-hmm. because by looking at those who survived it helps us to connect with the um, the strength, the courage and the determination of our ancestors who dis- who said we will survive and who have survived. Right. And so again the, the our altars, if you go onto the website you will see hundreds of very different altars. We have created altars for young men um, to show their, that they are warriors. Mm-hmm. The colors that we use, the symbols that we use, the spears that we use to help them to connect but also helps them to heal and remember those who came before us. And so um, I uh, grew up in Trinidad. Okay. And um, we were Christian. We came up in the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, the Spiritual Baptist Church. All of our aunties, everybody in everybody's homes, there were altars. And they were high up altars. The one that you showed me in your picture, mm-hmm. they looked just like that. Mm-hmm. There would be either a picture of someone, there'll be a, a glass bowl of wa- water, mm-hmm. there'll be flowers, there'll be a, a, a cross. And people will go there. If you're Christian, if you're Catholic, you'll go there to do your novena where you're mm-hmm. asking for special um, something for the path to be cleared. So, these, so altars allow us to, tran- it's very transformative. Right. And so you said that you mentioned every day you you go to your altar. Right. In our home, we have an altar, a very small altar, and it's different symbols, the colors I like, maybe a symbol that my son, of something that he likes. We have a, a statue of a, a family. Mm-hmm. 
we have the Bible, we have prayers from my parents, we have different symbols, but every day it allows us to focus and to connect with that divinity. And it also remember, helps us to remember those who went before us. Right. So we, we, we break down the altars in many ways, but the Adasi altars are uh, definitely commemoration, uh, healing, restoration for our community. And it allows us to do that. We are um, we institutionalize the commemoration. We host um, our annual international commemoration in June. Mm-hmm. We go down to the Anacostia River. Mm-hmm. We process from Union Temple Baptist Church. Everyone is wearing white because mm-hmm. white represents the spirit world of the ancestors. Mm-hmm. We go down to the Anacostia River the river as we know Oshun lives in that river she's the river goddess uh, and it is said that she came with our ancestors um, who were traf- kidnapped trafficked and shipped to the Americas during slavery so we we pray we give homage to her but we also do a healing ritual yes. for ourselves yeah. to uplift our spirit so we can make it we can demystify it and make it very real because we already have it in people's homes, they have pictures of their ancestors. Right. And that's their altar. Right. And I think the demystifying part, is that a word? Demystifying. That part it is, now. is mm. like the most important part. Yes. Because I feel like we were always... Now, many of us were taught that it was the devil. Like if you're trying to talk mm. to dead people mm-hmm. it's scary they're gonna come get you they're gonna harm yeah. you they don't have your back or they don't even exist they just went up to heaven and then you'll never talk to them again mm-hmm. until you get through the pearly gates so mm-hmm. I think that um, just bringing it uh, to make it more palatable for people to really understand so like the street altars that um we see probably across the nation in our communities that's considered an altar. I think one good movie. Did you all see Coco? Does anybody? Did yeah, you see Coco? Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Coco's amazing. It was mm-hmm. really well done. Yes. I mean, it was so well done, and I think it really gave you a great idea of what happens in the physical world and then a nice glimpse of what their interpretation of what happens in the spiritual world and it was so beautifully done and I think if you had never thought about it before that kind of could open the door Mm -hmm. to take away the stigma of having something like that in your home. Oh yeah no that's actually Coco's been quite helpful for me with uh talking to the African-American community about this. Like the Latino community, they 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 got it. it And they're really quite excited that an African-American like appreciates their culture or what they're trying to do because right now they're, you know, clearly there's just a time in America where, you know, there's a narrative that from Trump and all these sorts of people that they're not, uh, their culture isn't amazing or something. So so they they really appreciate it. But for the African-American community, there's a lot of, you know, this is devil stuff, or this is weird. This isn't like the church I grew up in. I don't, I don't get any of it. And Coco has definitely broken down a lot of those barriers. Once they see the movie, they're like, "Oh, I get it." Yeah. And um, and so it's it's been quite helpful for me to be honest. I, I'd say one thing for me, how I approach it, like I don't deny the spiritual component of all of this. It's mm-hmm. really. It's really, really significant to everything, but I'm just an overly analytical individual, and I and I look at this in a very practical way. Where, like, there's a there's an app I have on my phone that's supposed to help me get better habits, uh-huh. and they incline me to have better habits by creating a ritual out of almost each activity that I do. Right. 
and they're looking at it from a, a scientific we mm-hmm. you know we attach stuff to someone's brain and saw what lights up and all sorts of stuff like that right and there's no they don't acknowledge that there's a, a clear connection to making this ritual as it is to having an altar where you that becomes part of your ritual right and so this is basically how I how I look at it a universal thing that's been happening across the world Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. centuries Mm -hmm. and now science is looking at it and saying oh you Mm -hmm. know there's actually scientific proof that it works (laughs) now it's legitimate (laughs) Um, but the US is just one of these you know unfortunate places that due to um not incorporating the perspectives of the uh, indigenous people, Native Americans, into how we structure our society and not allowing Africans to continue their indigenous traditions. A lot of these mm-hmm. indigenous practices like altars and and the spirituality and just, you know, mm-hmm. these r- rituals that help you kind of progress and grow through our life. We created a society that not only doesn't have it, but feels a need to suppress those ideas mm-hmm. right. in order for, you know, like a white right. dominated yes. narrative to and, thrive. Right. And so I, we have to break out of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And to do that, that that's not something that the African-American community will do on its own. It's like this is something that's African-Americans working with and indi- working with indigenous people, working with uh, our, our Latino uh, neighbors who a lot of their cultural influences come from like the Aztecs and Mayans. It all comes from Africa right. and everybody Africa. just got off the ship Eggs. different places and <laughs> that's what it is exactly yes. and i think we have to also understand that during slavery so much of that was taken away from us uh and so in especially in the caribbean and latin america we know that in, and in brazil we know that they masked the african deities um behind the christian saints so you'll have the the um saint michael's with his legion of lights um they'll mask shango right with his his sword um behind that so a lot of that came out of our um, that's exp- the experience during um, slavery where mm-hmm. it was taken away from us mm-hmm. and I know uh, filmmaker Haile Garima who I'm sure you know very well mm-hmm. who did this film Sankofa mm-hmm. and in his research for his film um, the uh, contemporary manifestation of the Maroons in doing that he re- he in the research he found that um, enslaved African African American enslaved Africans in the Americas um, one of the first thing that they did whether they ran up into the mountains as the Maroons or elsewhere created, the first thing they did was to create those altars right. so that they can reconnect with the ancestors and right. with the creator to right. help guide them and protect them. So that's it's part of our tradition, mm-hmm. you know, certainly going down to the altar mm-hmm. in, in church. African churches. Uh-huh. That is part of our African tradition. Right. So, I mean, and, you know, altars existed, like you said, for centuries. I mean, in, in ancient Egypt, it's written into the Bible. So, I mean, these are sacred spaces that exist for um for 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 a long time for a very long time okay um, yeah. and altars are can be trees altars are in the forest mm-hmm. altars uh in brazil it's the sand altars we know it is on the first of january they go down to the ocean mm-hmm. and they say their prayers all dressed in white yep. with their candles that's the altar right to yemanja so right. um we already have it and know it. We just right. need to kind of find a way to, you know, to connect, connect with it. it with our daily right. lives. Right. I yeah. think it is innate and mm-hmm. it, and we have to now learn to connect with it. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of like what we do in the sanctuary. It's like awakening to the things that we were already born already. with. Exactly. This is like our birthright to be able to understand and mm-hmm. to connect with these type of things. And when, you, when you're able to connect and to be able to celebrate your own culture and things that seem more... Um, 
intuitive to you. And so you think about New Year's Eve, January, December 31st to January. That's not New Year's Eve. And your body doesn't even feel that way. You might even be at the party going, Happy New Year. And really on the inside, you're like, mm. you try to go to the gym for like a month. It doesn't work. Like... <laughs> We try all these things because that's not the real way. So intuitively we know it doesn't feel right. So connecting more with what feels right. Mm -hmm. And if these things feel right, then that's... then we heal. We mm -hmm. heal when, when we're doing things that are more of a natural cycle. Mm -hmm. So we have a guest on the phone. Before we bring our guest in, I just wanted to share another thing about and you know the altar that I have. So we go there, I go there in the morning and I just talk to my ancestors and it's not even like so traditional. I'm like, hey, grandmommy, granddaddy. Hey, auntie and uncle George. Like I call their names. And so it's really important to call the names of our ancestors because that's how we remember them. Exactly. And I have an interesting perspective on it because I'm adopted. So I only know the ancestors that I grew up with, the ones who were alive that helped to protect me. But what I am now doing is incorporating those who are in my maternal or, you know, in my line, my biological line. Right. So I did my DNA, traced it back to Cameroon, went to Cameroon and actually was able to go to the beach and give my maternal grandmother like I don't know her. But I know that she's Cameroonian and I know that she survived that passage because I'm standing there. I know that she survived. So I'm thanking her. And I had like, you know, we were on there for nine days in Cameroon. And so like I had like a random some change in my pocket and I had a piece of dirty ginger that was at the bottom of my purse. Right. So I just threw that was my my gift offering. That was my offering. I was like, this is a bittersweet moment. Ginger is bittersweet, right? Mm -hmm. It was the, the, the sugar kind. So I'm like, thank you because you survived this horrific situation. I am here. So I am thanking you. And then I threw my little penny in my pocket, which was my change. And I say, I am a changed woman because of this. And so I have now two legions of ancestors and angels that are watching me because I have the biological ones. And then I have the ones who adopted me and took care of me. So I make it real easy breezy. Hey, y'all. Thank you. Help me. Lead mm -hmm. me. Protect me, protect, protect exactly. my baby, protect all of, all of us. Tell me what I'm supposed to do next. And then I keep it moving. So it doesn't even have to be so serious. Like I don't want it to be, it doesn't have to be serious. There are times to be serious and times to just make it fun, you know? Um, so I would like for Eureka is, to introduce our guest. Yes, thank you so much for um, allowing Baba Fakunle Oyasanya. He is the president of Adasi, Nigeria, and he is a Babalao. Uh, he is um, going to share with us um, from his perspective uh, in terms of the healing and the altars um, from the Yoruba perspective in particular. But we do have a Dasi group in Nigeria, one in Senegal, and also one in Brazil. Okay. And so the, again, these altars and these reconnecting with the dispersed African um, community is very important for us. And spiritually, this allows us to come together. Yes. Um, so, Baba Fakunle, welcome. Thank you so much. Welcome, Baba. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, uh, it's, it's really very, very important for us to 
to connect because um, what we discover is that um, there has been, you know, a lot of disconnect, you know, among um, especially African Americans, and then that's why we are in this in a situation where we are right now. Uh, in in Africa, we believe that even when someone dies, that is not the end of of it all. The person still continues to exist either in the minds of the, the people, the person left behind, or within the family. That is regarded as a transition from one you know, um, level of ex- existence to another. So that's why in Africa, there is that continuity. And uh, the, the, and the problem we're having here is that there has been a disconnect. We are not able to now connect with the source, uh, the, the energy, the flow, of potentials that normally are supposed to flow, you know, to us are, you know, dislocated. That's why we're having, you know, that problem, because we have to understand where we're coming from. We have to understand our origin, without which we would not be able to know where exactly we're going. Because it is, uh, there's one African proverb that says that a river that forgets its source of course, is, is, is bound to dry up. It's a matter of time. Wow. So that's why we need to now start to establish these altars, because these altars, the, the essence of it is to rededicate ourselves, to reconnect with our ancestors, so that we will continue to enjoy that energy that flows, and those virtues that actually made our ancestors to be great, you know, uh, before the, um, the pre-slavery era. Because history made us understand that when Africans, at the point in history, when Africans were using iron tools, most European countries were still using stone tools. Mm -hmm. So what were those things, what were those values that made our ancestors to be great in those days? And, you know, unless, of course, we reconnect with this source, we will not be able to understand how our you know, ancestors have been able to contribute tremendously to humanity in those days. So, and that is what Adasi is for, to, you know, rededicate ourselves, to re-educate ourselves, so that we will be able to reclaim, to redeem, and then to, to retain and sustain those African values that have sustained our African ancestors for, you know, millennia. So right. that is um, my take on, on it. Well, that uh, thank you for that. So I feel like you're in Africa and the, the, the family that's in Africa on the continent, you may have more of a connection. But for those of us who are out here in the wilderness, <laughs> for, for those of us who are out here in North America, where we have no connection and we are taught that the connection is not a good thing. What are a few tips that you can give our listeners who may have never even heard of it and may have only just been connected if they saw Coco? Like, what do you, or maybe this might have been in the family where you go to an elder's house and you see the Martin picture, the John F. Kennedy, the brother, the Kennedy brothers picture, and that was sort of like an altar to those guys. But what can you tell us to do to have some like concrete tips to start to create the altar and what belongs on the altar and those types of things 
I think, um, you know, what we need to do in this part of the world is that um, we need to uh, potentiate, you know, whatever altar that we set for these ancestors. Because, you know, in, back in Africa, um, the dead are, being, are buried, you know, in the, in the ground. And um, whenever we want to invoke or we want to connect with them, we either go to the grave you know, to do whatever we want to do. But here, you know, most people don't even know where their ancestors are buried. Right. They don't know. So that makes that difficult. That is why, you know, when you set up an altar, there is a particular ceremony that must be done with the earth. The earth in order to, because we believe that whatever the case may be, these people were buried somewhere and they were buried in this earth. So that's why we need to potentiate that altar. When you do that, whatever you do, whatever um, prayers or supplications you do, you are sure that that prayers will be taken to their appropriate quarters. So that is very, very necessary in this part of the world. So it's not just getting a picture of your ancestors Mm -hmm. and just put it there. Right. You need to put, you need to uh, invoke that energy, potentiate that space, so that that energy will have enabling environment to be, to descend, so that whatever connection you need, you can you know easily get it. So that is you know what we can do in this part of the country. The That's world. interesting because when I was in Africa in Cameroon, I got some soil. And I just put it on my altar. I have a little bottle, and I don't even know why I did it. I just thought to do it. So that's one of the things exactly. that is on my altar. So exactly. that's interesting. And I gave a bottle to all of my siblings so that they would have a piece of the land. Okay. Mm-hmm. You already yeah, knew in your spirit. Right. You were just reconnecting, and it yes. was already in you. It was already just in me. All just reconnecting. So I have a few questions about creating altars. Um, People have so many different rules. And so I'd like to know from your perspective, you know, the most the the easiest way and the most powerful way. What are a few of the elements that you suggest can go on an altar? I think, you know, the um, the most important is the soil. You don't even need to go to Africa. You can even take the soil here mm-hmm. in America, here. Because, you see, soil is soil anywhere in the world. Earth is earth anywhere in the world. Okay. It is when we get to the earth that we started to create the visions. When ancestors, when human beings were coming from heaven, they did not say that, oh, I am going to Nigeria, I'm going to America, right. I'm going to Brazil, <laughs> right. I'm going to the earth. That right. is, you know, it is when we get to the earth that we now start to create artificial, you know, divisions in terms of racial, tribe, and ethnic. So earth is earth wherever you are. So once you are able to, because we're made to understand that where you cannot find an icon of a particular divinity, you can invoke that Orisha or divinity from the earth. Okay. Because everything goes to the earth. So you can invoke, once you get the soil anywhere in the world, you can invoke the spirit of your ancestors. And, you know, you'll be surprised at them, whatever, you know, you'll get that right connection that you want. 
Okay. So, yeah, that's 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 the simplest way to go about it. So in Africa, there are some other um, implements, other tools that you can get, you know, for you to be able, you know, to you know um, get their to to get their spirit invoked. But in the absence of nothing, Earth is general. You can get it anywhere in the world. Even somebody who you know is drowned or whatever still goes into the earth. So that's why you have to take the earth anywhere you are, invoke the spirit of your ancestors, and your ancestors will answer you. And so uh, we also yeah, like have that. on the um, on the Adasi website we have a guide to how to commemorate the ancestors, okay. and also how to create your own altar. Okay. Because as I mentioned before, the Adasi sisters are all different religious background. We. Have Baptists, we're Baha'i, we're spiritualists, we Baba Fakune is from tradi- uh, Yoruba tradition. But some basic elements for an altar would be uh, the white fabric mm-hmm. um, and uh, maybe a pitcher. If you have a pitcher, as Baba Fakune said, this earth, um, a glass of water, a white candle, yes. um, you yes. could, the potted plant, which includes the earth mm-hmm. or flowers mm-hmm. and herbs. And, and then you can put whatever... Um, uh, colors you like mm-hmm. your essence of your ele- your ele- um, your essence as well as your ancestor and so I mean you can make it as elaborate or you can make it as very simple um, okay, as you there want could to be mm-hmm. also certain things that you know that your ancestors Fruits. used to love mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it could be their favorite food it could be their, their favorite color it could be their favorite you know um, instruments that they were using you know when they were alive so you can also add that to you know your altar preparation yeah. So this so summer was the first time. So this summer, for some reason, I hadn't been eating peaches. Peaches must were very popular where I where I grew up with my grandparents in the summer times. And this year, I got some and I put them on the altar. But I was so excited to like because I remember they had peaches all the time and they would put it in milk and they would do all di- types of things with peaches. And then my grandfather loved um, peanut brittle. So I got some of that for him. And then my aunt that I said passed in my arm, she liked baby Ruth. So I got some of that. And so I put that on the altar and every now and again, we share food with them. Mm-hmm. You know, when we cook it, we give just a little dish, but I usually have fruit and vegetables there. And now because it's, um, you know, Halloween time or harvest yes. time, October, I have like the pumpkins, pumpkins. different yes. colors yeah. and, and things like that. So those are the things that you can put on the altar, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. if you're going to um, is it uh, if you go into an Asian restaurant, you walk right in. The first thing you're probably going to see is their altar to yes. their ancestors. Yeah. You'll see there's food, there's candles, there's a pictures. So they too they understand the significance of the altars in there. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for talking about altars is understanding it's a, it's a universal thing that people mm-hmm. all across the world have exactly. been doing for thousands and thousands yes. of years and <clears throat> the US just based on how like Europeans colonized it and wanting to prevent Africans and indigenous people from continuing their culture mm-hmm. stripped us from this just basic mm-hmm. human need that we've had and this is you know it's not that one content or one group of people are, have been doing altars better than the other it's no. it's a natural need and so like when you make your altar it's not you know, it's not like you're trying to make the most powerful one, the most efficient one, the best one. It's you are representing, you are putting forth effort and energy mm-hmm. and to make something to remember the stuff that 
matters to you and right. that help make you and so mm-hmm. those will be your your friends and this strengthens your community and it's a it's a really like a basic sh- human need that without even a structure we'll have the desire to do it just like cr- grabbing earth from from africa and mm-hmm. wanting to take it with you like mm-hmm. i have friends when they go travel they'll they'll take a pebble from every single place mm-hmm. get, you know yep. we yep. go if we go someplace we'll buy a memento there's mm-hmm. there's stuff you know it's just a human need where there's things that matter to you that are that you mm-hmm. want to remember you make something com- to commemorate it the an altar is that processed quite structured and shared with mm-hmm. your community and that's just a thing that America really desperately needs and we've been educated to think that we don't need it and mm-hmm. that's the inverse of just basic human existence right. and so mm-hmm. This Day of the Dead celebration that the Latino community does where it happens three days a year I think it's a it's a great opportunity to bring in these innate human desires that stem from Africa, stem from Asia, and allowing Americans to talk about our diversity and our shared togetherness at the same time with you know a lot of distinctly different altars because your altar in your house is clearly going to be quite different than your neighbor's altar because you're vastly different people. Of course. So now you're in your film that you're creating. Like, what are the maybe two or three points that you feel like are the most important because it said that you are creating it to help us cope, help our community cope with loss and celebrate our culture. What are you doing and what kind of um, presentation are you making in your film that highlights those things? Well, the, the structure of the film has a, it's, it's a big, it's going to be a journey. It's going to, you know, I'm going to go to parts of Mexico, parts of the U.S., parts of Africa to get the pieces because the key thing when you're trying to build bridges and work with your community and other communities to make something that helps a lot of people Mm -hmm. you don't ever want people to think that you're appropriating or you're valuing one above the other Mm -hmm. so having a film where it shows you go to the place and be respectful to your own community and to another community I think is really really key and so Mm -hmm. my film intends on showing that humility and that respect as you as you go on the journey because if you do that I feel you can come back and, and, and show that you created something uh, that's beneficial. Um, I think a key thing, so that's, I guess, point number one is showing it and Mm -hmm. going there and doing it. Point two is I think a lot of um, the structures that the African-American community creates, and this is natural, it makes sense, are in response to a certain type of systemic oppression. Like we, 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 we found a way to survive under a certain amount of oppression and then there'll be like a flashpoint where someone will get killed on you know by police or, or, or something tragic will happen and that flashpoint will like galvanize the community and then we'll make altars and then we'll talk about black lives mattering and all sorts of stuff um and it uh, that's quite beneficial but there's a, an inherent reactiveness to it where like the narrative that we're talking in our story is slightly dependent on somebody harming us in a way and i think creating a, a time frame where you can share your stories you can tell your stories and share it with the wider american community in a proactive way mm-hmm. i think can be quite empowering and so that's another thing that i thought was uh that day of the dead provided this this pathway because a lot of people 
in America think they have an idea of the black experience or what or systemic trauma or or how we have gone about living in America and they just genuinely don't mm-hmm. they are they're inferring their own experiences into ours and thinking there's a, a similarity that's actually has never been there and by having this narrative where we tell our stories and talk about our ancestors and and our experiences we can we can change that narrative in a in a proactive you know not confrontational way and I think that's really really key right so Baba do you um, have any other tips or any other things that you can share with our listeners about the importance um, of the altar from a Yoruba perspective and actually can you even explain to our listeners what a Yoruba perspective is because maybe some people don't even know Yes, the Yoruba's perspective of, you know, setting up altars is basically to connect with the ancestors, for you to be able to build up that spirituality in you. Because in, in Africa, we don't have a religion, we have spirituality. Because you are the, you are, as, a, as an individual, you are in the best position to know how you, you relate with the, the, your creator, with the divinities. Nobody's going to tell you, no, you have to accept my way. You right. are the ones that you know, should be in the best position to do that yourself. So that's why when you set up an altar, you are kind of creating a connection between you and the source. And um, I quite agree with you know, my brother that just spoke now that we, this is now the time for us to start to tell our own story. Amen. Not only tell, we have to write our own story because we understand that the conquerors write histories and uh, a lot of you know histories that we have been taught in schools are histories that don't even you know connect to us that we can't even find any any relevance to you know um to we africans so we need to now start to you know do things the way you know africans used to do it because we believe that you know um uh, when I was in, 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 in high school, I was told that um, um, there are some explorers like Mongo Park who came to Nigeria to discover the source of River Niger. And when he came there, he met some people there. So whom did he discover River Niger for? Right. So, right. so that's a question. Because when he came, he met some people there. So that's the history we are being told, you know, in school. So now we have to now start to, you know, um, you know, go back to our history so that we'll be able to tell our history to our children. Because if they don't know their, their history, it will be difficult for, for them to have that identity. It will be difficult for them to know where they are going. So we can start, you know, by, you know, building these altars and the invite our children to be with us and let them know how we do it so that even when we also join the ancestors they will be there to continue with that flow with that you know continuity with that cycle so i think it's it's very very important for us to have the altar Love yeah. It. Okay. Thank you, Barrett. So, uh, one thing I'd like to add on to that first, and specific to like the African American community and how I came, you know, 
to come up with this idea is I once I got into my 30s I kind of realized that I didn't uh, have an idea of what my parents were like when they were the same age mm-hmm. and I think there's an assumption in the US that you just don't really know who your parents were before they were your parents and it's like that's crazy because there should be a structure for them to tell their stories when they were young and their friends and if, if you know if they had a friend that passed away or you know we should hear these stories and it hit me that we just didn't have that and and my my dad is like his siblings are like a decade older than him and so I remember when I was a kid we'd go visit family in Alabama and I just didn't want to hang out with my family in Alabama because mm-hmm. as a little kid they were just old, old. you know <laughs> they were just old and I was like like, I want to play games and have fun and I don't want to travel hours to go hang out with a bunch of old people. Right. And that makes sense when you're like a five-year-old or a six-year-old to have that idea. But it also makes sense for there to be a structure that allows your family to talk about their 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 history and their relatives and, and all of these stories that can excite like a kid and not have my childlike perspective of I just want to play games and I can't do it with old people mm-hmm. be the thing that trumps what's you know the most important thing and how I have a relationship with my dad's side of the family. So right. when I articulated how this would be beneficial to my parents especially to my dad, I was like, I think this will give you an opportunity to tell me stories about your family that I didn't hear, not because I didn't want to hear them, but because I think my desire to be a five-year-old that wants to play with trucks trumped everything else because there wasn't a structure to like rebuff, politely rebuff that, that childlike desire I had. And that's really tragic. And then at the same time, it also hit me that my my parents, they grew up in the 60s during the civil rights era. My, I'm from Atlanta. My mom's from South Carolina. My dad's from Alabama. And a lot of their experiences during those traumatic times, they just didn't want to. Don't nobody want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about right. it. And now we're in this era right now where we're talking about police brutality, systemic racism, all this stuff. And it's quite similar to what's happened before. But the narrative that we have now is almost as we're learning about this. We're, 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 mm-hmm. we're experiencing it when it's so similar to what happened before that if there is these conversations, we would be more equipped to combat systemic issues in American society. And I totally get why my parents wouldn't want to tell me about these traumatic things, right. especially mm-hmm. when they got uh, opportunity and allowed us to live in an environment that was quite diverse around like a lot of white people mm-hmm. for them not to tell these stories so I wouldn't have a negative perspective on my white friends and my white neighbors and mm-hmm. hold like any sort of uh, animosity or resentment towards them like mm-hmm. I get it but that also shows the necessity to have these structures for African Americans to tell not just stories about go, that go back to Africa but stories that go back 20, 30 years ago Mm -hmm. that we're trying not to tell so that we don't have animosity toward their neighbors. Like, And that's a complexity that I don't think a lot of people really take into account Mm -hmm. about the Mm -hmm. importance of just having these types of altars in our houses and have it that facilitate these types of conversations and awareness. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think for us in Adasi, again, is the commemoration or the remembrance of those who perished in the Middle Passage and those who survived and and what they used to survive. But more more importantly is the um, the 
fact that we know that the trauma has been passed on from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. We look at the work by Joy DeGuerre on mm -hmm. post-traumatic slave syndrome, mm -hmm. Naeem Agba, Chains and Images of Psychological Slavery, uh, Dr. John Henry Clark in his book, Christopher Columbus and the African Holocaust. And Dr. Clark was a senior advisor to Adasi. We mm -hmm. were very honored mm -hmm. that he would be a part of our founding and, and guide in the One organization. So really critical, like how is this trauma still impacting us generations now right. and how we can use these instruments like the altars to help us to heal and to restore and to commemorate but also celebrate the richness of those who survived and right. I think again critical for us too is the re-education uh, the re-education of who were we before we were kidnapped trafficked and shipped and through that we present a lot of scholars historians who have come through Adasi but again it's re-educating ourselves mm -hmm. and then also looking at how we connect with Africans across the diaspora mm -hmm. because slavery brought about the dispersion. Now, how do we connect? Because a lot of the similarities exist. How we worship, how we create these altars exists across the diaspora, but also the, the issues that, we, that are impacting these communities, how can we support and help each other? It's like the new concept of Pan-Africanism. So we right. cover many different aspects of what we do. So do you have meetings here in Washington, D.C.? How can people get in touch with you at Adasi? So um, they can visit us on our website to learn more about what we do, but definitely you can call us at 301-292-6822. Uh, the website is www.adasiancestors.org. We mm -hmm. host several uh, programs during the year, but the main program is in June, mm -hmm. the International Commemoration, together with uh, Adasi sites across um, in Nigeria, Senegal, Brazil, but also with ICAMP. We are a founding member of the International Coalition to Commemorate the African Ancestors of the Middle Passage. So in June, the second weekend in June, you've seen all of these organizations, individuals all across the U.S., in Caribbean, in Africa, mm -hmm. who are commemorating the ancestors, remembering, but also dealing with the contemporary issues that we deal with and how it is linked to that trauma. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I've been to three of those in June, so I've really loved attending those, and I brought my daughter with yes. me, mm -hmm. and it's been really, you know, it has really informed me, and being able to go and see the altars that you have set up, and then to get explanations of them, and even at Dr. Ben's Ascension Ceremony that yes. we had here in Washington, D.C., that was like my first real time mm -hmm. having somebody explain the different elements and why you were doing it and mm -hmm. things like that. So I th just like you said, it is very important to remember. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the whole purpose of the sanctuary is, mm -hmm. is to help us awaken and heal to who we are and, and who we were and to know that we are okay and that we can tell our stories yes. and only we can tell our stories and that they we are amazing and awesome and we come from the best of the best so the narrative that we aren't is crazy and the more you get to know that that's the wrong narrative then I think and that's what I want to do here I just like want to keep hammering it away that narrative is not true we are the best of the best so mm -hmm. Barrett we have like two minutes um your your fundraising I know for your film and so that's happening but you're actually going to get in a plane and you're going to go you're going to have to meet up with the Baba 
yeah, you're oh, gonna have to right, meet up with him. We're gonna have that's to right. connect you two so he yeah, can give you that that part of it. Yeah, let's do it. Like this this film, this the process for this film is gonna you know it's gonna be a a, a learning experience. Like I I view it potentially where say I know ninety or ninety five percent of what I need to know. That extra ten percent or five percent is like the hardest bit that you have to get, uh-huh. and that's what this is all about. And so I'm going to collaborate and talk to a lot of people and incorporate a lot of perspectives in this because you know. Can't, if you go into anything thinking you know all the answers, then you're already wrong. You're already wrong. And so that's that's how I view it. So there's going to be a, a lot of travel, a lot of collaboration, a lot of voices coming in this for with the main goal of educating and showing the African-American community the benefit of having altars in your homes. And I think the the structure that the Mexican community has with Day of the Dead provides a really great opportunity for us to not only celebrate African culture and African-American culture, but to do it in a way where we share it with our neighbors mm-hmm. and create something that's you know uniquely American, where we're, we're helping enrich our society, which is quite diverse here, while also enriching the various uh, groups within it that are that are distinct. And you have to go to Trinidad because they also celebrate All Souls. See, there we go. So you got to go to Trinidad right? the same day, November first. <laughs> well, I want to thank all of my guests, um, Barrett, Baba, and uh, Eureka. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you got some, you know inspiration and got some education on why altars are important. So we will see you next time in the sanctuary. Thank you for listening to The Sanctuary. Please follow us at Awaken and Heal on Instagram and on the web at goddess-awaken.com to follow the revolution.